I don't know about you, but it's been one of those weeks for me as I've been pondering the word that God gave us as a church on Sunday. I had my plan as I stood up here to go through 13 characteristics of a Holy Spirit-driven church, and I got through three of them. The Holy Spirit landed me on this concept of repentance, and as I was sinking here, it was, felt like it was a God moment for our church, and I didn't want to rush through this sermon and so I really don't know how many weeks this one sermon I'm supposed to preach is going to be. I know that I want to be cognizant and aware of the fact that there's many barbecues and wonderful family get-togethers that are planned today. So today we're not going to call this a sermon. We're going to call this a devotion. And uh, if my wife starts doing this, this means to me to, that I need to land the plane. And so you guys better not do that to me. I'll preach longer. But my wife can do it, all right? She's the only person. Uh, Jaden and Jace will start to do that sometimes too and it's like just stop dad we, everyone wants to go home um, my sons call it the Danny Tanner moment you guys ever remember Full House and every episode ended with Danny Tanner giving this life lesson and so they start rolling their eyes at me and going just stop being Danny Tanner dad um, so I don't want to be that guy here today but I, I do have what I feel like the Holy Spirit has for us today is a setup to next week's message that we're going to talk about this word devotion. And the reason why it's important for us to understand this word devotion is because without a proper understanding of what it means when they say they fully devoted themselves, you're going to miss the next nine or so steps that we have. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Um, because I do believe that that kind of definition has been so skewed in today's culture that we have to really have a proper understanding on what the word devotion means. Is that fair? And then I'll get you, as my son says on the way home yesterday from Prineville, Oregon, the home of Les Schwab. Um, uh, my youngest son, Jay, says, Dad, I just want something cheap, like a burger or ribs. And I go, I don't know you if you even know what you're talking about, because burger and hot dogs go pretty well together, but burger and ribs do not. So... Uh, we're going to be out barbecuing, my wife and I, on Tuesday at the 4th. My whole family's going to be up here. One of my favorite holidays, probably is my favorite holiday. I know this is going to sound very sacrilegious, even over Christmas, but it's 4th of July. I love 4th of July. Christmas, there has just become so much pressure about presents. By the way, you are six months away, so start budgeting so it doesn't catch you by surprise. Christmas is coming. Um, but there was something about 4th of July, especially growing up in a contractor's home. Uh, because, you know, if you're an asphalt and concrete, uh, the winter times can get pretty lean, but the summer times are really good. And so growing up, it was all, all, always Christmas time was a lot of pressure because my dad didn't have a lot of work to try to provide. But when 4th of July came around, it was like, you get any fountain you want, and we're going to light that thing on fire. And it was the epitome of watching money burn, but it was just, <laughs> it was just incredible. So we're going to come out here with some launch pads and um, we're going to grab some, some backer board from City Plywood, and we're going to have launch pads so we don't scar our parking lot forever. Um, and we're going to tailgate, have some pop-ups. We're going to maybe get some volleyball played on the lawn outside. And we're just, a whole center is going to be open for, um, for those of you that can't handle the heat. But I know, if I know something about Oregon, we are, we are in the weather so long that when the sun comes out, it's like, burn us. You know, <laughs> have your way, son. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. So Holy Spirit, help me this morning. I want to get out of the way. I'm so thankful for a church that feels free today, expectant for your presence and for your word. Father, go forth in power today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, 
Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. These 10 verses give us the 13 characteristics of a Holy Spirit-driven church. Here's what it reads. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you might receive the Holy Spirit. Is that what it says? It says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just making sure you're paying attention this morning. We talked about those three pillars or characteristics is that repentance is the front door to the fullness of the kingdom of God. You don't just repent one time at the beginning of your relationship. Repentance has to be part of your heart. It becomes the nature of a true believer that when God points out things in your life, you're not quick to hide, you're quick to repent. One of my pastor friends on social media put a quote out that I thought was so profound. In the end, you do not keep secrets. Secrets keep you. That'll preach. I'm going to let that one settle in deep. Grow roots. In the end, you do not keep secrets. Secrets keep you. And repentance has to be the heart at the heart of a believer because as you're, when you're newly saved, there is a great disparity between what is sin in my life and what is righteousness. The Holy Spirit will come in and say, yeah, don't do that. And it's pretty wide usually. The longer that you walk with the Lord, it's less black and white and it oftentimes is more gray and it's oftentimes matters of our heart. And so what we have to understand about the fullness, especially those of us who have walked with Christ for a number of years, God, he, he, the black and white should be gone. Those things that are obviously sin in our life should be gone. The gossiping tongue should be gone. The sexual sin should be gone. Amen, somebody? Come on, somebody. It's getting quiet in here. Usually when it gets quiet, I'll just go a little bit deeper on that point. So if you want me to move on, just be loud, all right? But you got to be careful that you haven't just made repentance a relic of the past. Repentance is the heart of a believer that gets put into your heart that stays there forever because why we're changed from glory to glory and we are transformed as we renew our minds. So repentance, again, is not just a decision or a choice, though it is. It is a matter of the heart. So repentance is a front door into the fullness of the kingdom. And belief in confession will get you onto the front porch but what we have done in the modern Christian uh, culture, in America especially, is we've changed what Christianity was meant to be. We've made it to a belief-only gospel when really the front door into the fullness of God is repentance. Are you with me this morning? So repent and then make it public. Be baptized. And I, and I want to be clear here. I don't care where you get baptized. Get baptized in the road. Get baptized on the platform of the church. The Bible doesn't specifically say that you've got to be baptized in a specific way, but I, I do want to encourage you. Some of you, what you want to do is you want to go to the river where there's only two people. You, and, and you want to go where it's just comfortable. Can I just challenge you for a minute? If, you're, if your water baptism and your decision to get water baptized is going to a place of comfort, you're missing the whole point of being water baptized. Be, being water baptized is publicly confessing your faith. And if you can't do it in front of hundreds of people, you're probably going to have a hard time keeping your faith with a boss that's trying to tell you to compromise or the friend that's trying to tell you it's not that big of a deal. So we have to understand that water baptism at its core is you telling the world, not just your world, the world 
that I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so, listen, if you want me to baptize you in the rogue or want me to baptize you in your swimming pool, if you want me to baptize you in a trough up here on a Sunday morning, I am totally down to be that pastor, but I want you to know that water baptism is something that is really meant to be a public confessing of your faith. So verse number 39. For this promise is for you and your children and for all of those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I am so thankful that after Sunday morning service, my 11-year-old snuck back in there after junior high class and he plopped himself right down there and began to weep under the power of God. I'm thankful that the promise is not just for me. I'm thankful that the promise is for our kids and our kids' kids. I'm thankful that God has no grandchildren. I'm thankful that the same God that showed himself to you is the same God that's going to show himself to my son, Jace. Hallelujah. Verse number 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse number 41. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Come on, somebody. That's a great altar call right there. 42. And here's where we want to dive into today. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done. There's more characteristics that follow, but I just want to focus on verse number 42 and verse number 43 this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers... And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The three characteristics of the functioning of the, of the church, repentance, water, baptism, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, lead itself, listen to me, not to skip to the eighth characteristic, which is wondrous and miraculous signs. Most people in the church want to go from repentance, baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then God does the incredible. I want you to hear me. Most of us say, and then the fireworks came. And then people were getting out of their wheelchairs, and people were blind eyes were being opened. Do you believe that God can do those things? I believe that God can do those things. But the modern American Pentecostal Spirit-filled church, what we want to do is we want to go, Repent! Get water baptized. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then many wondrous things were done. And God says, what about devotion? What does it mean to actually be devoted? And oftentimes we are missing out on the reason why God sends signs and wonders as affirmations to what God is doing in devotion in people and not the other way around. It is not our job to chase signs and wonders. It's it's our job to chase him and signs and wonders will follow. And so this morning, I just want to bring a quick devotion in the next 10 or 12 minutes on understanding what it meant when they said they devoted themselves. You guys ready for it? Lock in, buckle up. Most would like to receive and do, but God's desire is for you to receive, to be transformed and be. Many of us want to know what Christians do. God is concerned about what you are. And so listen, I, I am with you. I believe that the modern American church is seeing a lack of signs and wonders 
But it's not necessarily because of a lack of faith or belief. It's because it's a lack of devotion. Devotion. Being devoted. To understand the next four characteristics. What are the next four characteristics? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves to fellowship. Listen to me. You cannot get the fullness of God in your life without being devoted to the fellowship that comes with being next to each other. Because that person to the left or right of you is going to offend you. Look to your neighbor and say, you're going to offend me one time. (laughs) And you look really nice right now. But you're going to tick me off one day. And if you're saying this to your spouse, we do offer marriage counseling. (laughs) Keith and Nancy's over there. They would be more than willing to talk to you about proper communication, especially do not repeat everything the pastor tells you to repeat, all right? But fellowship, that iron sharpening iron, is an important ingredient in our life. Now, isn't it? And it says, now you're going to devote yourself to the breaking of bread. It's not like the Olive Garden bread. This is communion. It's, it's making sure that as a body of believers, we don't reduce communion to this five-minute infomercial in the middle of a service once a month. I, when I read scriptures, I don't believe that communion was supposed to be a small thing. What we've turned it into be. When I, when I read scripture, I think communion was supposed to be around a table with bodies of believers. There's to be an empty chair signifying that this body was broken. He's no longer here. It was, I get chills thinking about what proper communion should be and what we've made it. We've made it to where if we still have aught in our, our heart towards a brother or sister, that we still take communion. Shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. But we do because why? We make it such a passive thing that it actually needs to be really active in our lives. And this says the final thing you should be devoted to is the prayers. And we're going to get into these few. But before I can even talk to you about what it means to be a person of devotion towards the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, I felt like this morning that I had to define what it meant to be fully devoted. The New Testament frame of reference was the Old Testament teaching. In Leviticus 27 and 21, we learn that Old Testament objects could be devoted. Anything that they owned could be devoted to God. They could devote farm or family land, animals, even human beings that they were owners of. Numbers 18:14 tells us that Aaron was told everything that is devoted to the Lord be, belonged to the Levites or the special people that were to be the priests. They were to be devoted. You could be devoted to a task like Ezra was. But devotion in the Old Testament was to set something apart for God's use. Devotion in the New Testament was to set oneself away for God's use. I want you to catch the difference. In the Old Testament, devotion was what you could give God. Devotion in the New Testament was what you give to God is yourself. And so we could devote we can, we can, like most people do, take our life in segment and then say, well, God has my Sunday. That's what the Old Testament did. They devoted a part of who they were. Well, I can devote 10% of my money because that's what God's asking me to do. And I devote a segment of my money. I can donate a, a segment of my volunteer hours to the things of God. And if you think that way in devotion as opposed to what the New Testament church is supposed to be, which is not I'm partly devoted to God, New Testament is I'm fully devoted to God. Like every part of who I am 
He owns because I gave it to him. We do this in baby dedications on Sunday mornings now, don't we? We, we say we are returning the gift that God's given us back to him because we recognize that every good gift that he gives us gets, goes back to him. And we don't, just give, we don't just give part of our kids back to him. God, you can have the rebellious side of our kids and we get them back to them. The teenage years, Lord, you can have them. No, what is, what is being fully devoted? Being fully devoted is that there is nothing that is off limits because I am no longer going to segment my life, mix my life between two ingredients and say that I am actually devoted to God. What has the American church done, in my humble opinion? The American church has mixed what the real meaning of devotion is. And here, if you're taking notes this morning... I believe that there are three types of devotions, uh, devotion being practiced today. The first is no devotion. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and I want to read 18 to verse 28. And uh, we're going to get to our notes that we've, we've posted on our website, but this is really the scramblings of a pastor being moved on by the Holy Spirit two hours before service. Is that okay? All right, this is, this is, this is hot off the press, all right? Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 through 28. This is an example of what kind of devotion the world lives in, which is no devotion. Here's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, I don't know about you, but Oregon's beautiful. You can drive all over this state, and if you can drive this state and see what God did and say there is no God, there's something wrong with you. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse number 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, specifically the end, listen to me, the end of honoring God is a life or a people group or a nation living a life in debauchery and sexual sin because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, some translations say, to a reprobate mind. My translation, the ESV this morning says, a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. To pervert is to actually mix. And what we have done, the first type of devotion, especially you're seeing it now in our country, is the result of having no devotion. When you, when, you can, when you can turn on the news and you can see a nation that 
has given themselves to a life without God, the end is what you're seeing now. But I want to be very clear here. Just pause. It is very easy for the church to walk in judgment when we're called to also walk with burden. John 1.17 says that Moses came and gave the law, but it was Jesus who gave truth and grace. Most of us are really good about giving truth, but not grace. There are some of us that like to have our compassions change our convictions, and we're really good about giving grace, but not truth. What made Jesus special was that when he came, he embodied truth and grace. So that we can call sin, sin, but we have to do like Jesus did, which is with long-suffering, sacrifice our life, our energy, our efforts, be devoted to the gospel, so that when people in our world come to the end of themselves, do you realize that you can drink it all? You can have it all. You can go out there and you can have the drug, the drink, the relationships, the women, the men. You can, you can try it all, and at the end of your life, you'll be more empty than when you started. And then who's supposed to come pick you up? It's the people of God. It's the, it's the Christian believers that don't walk in judgment, that don't just walk in truth, but also walk in grace. Are you tracking with me this morning? Devotion. Devotion is that I don't look at the world and say, you deserve it. I look at the world and say, with a humble heart, that there's more. That you don't have to live that way. You don't have to hurt that way. You don't have to be that way. It's the reason why the gospel is so powerful, because it changes people's lives. Has it changed your life this morning? Truth and grace. So the first type of devotion is what? No devotion. The second type of devotion is poisoned devotion. That when I mix things with, with God and the world, if you ever read the back label of a, of a rat poison or any type of poison that you put on your property, it's very interesting. 99.99% of the ingredients are healthy for everybody to eat. It's the .0001 that actually kills the mice. A little mixture is the same as a lot of mixture. And so a lot of people, we say, well, pastor, we're not as bad as those crooked people in the world. We're not as debased as they are. We're not as debaucherous as they are. But yet we are living in a more dangerous kind of devotion, which is mixed devotion. You hearing it? Here's what, here's what 2 Corinthians 6.17 says. Come out from among them and what? Be separate. That if I watch what they watch, if I do what they do, if I drink what they drink, if I talk like they talk, what makes me any different than the world? And full devotion, listen to me, full devotion to God is God, it's not just part of my life that's yours, it's all of my life that's yours. And so we want to come on Sunday and we say, Lord, have my life. And then he comes and whispers and says, well, that needs to go for you to be a better witness. And you go, well, it's not sin. It's not sending me to hell. And God's saying, well, that's not really the point. The point is, is anything that you put above me that's an idol has got to get out of the way. And that's why the Bible says to work out your own salvation with what? Not grace and mercy. That's what a lot of us preach today, right? We want to work out our own salvation with grace and mercy. Well, I'm not as bad as them, or I'm not as bad as I used to be. And we give so many allowances for the type of devotion that we have. And then we walk into the church and our devotion is mixed. And then we question the character of God of why he's not doing what he's promised to do. 
God, where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where is the fullness that I'm supposed to walk into? And God is so loving that he'll never slam the door on you, but he'll say, stop, you're chasing the wrong things. There's mixture in your life. And so these, these, these disciples, they knew what devotion was all about. Devotion wasn't just about no devotion or poison devotion. Listen to Revelations 3, 15 through 18. Poison devotion leads to lukewarm living. I would rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, what? I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. What he was saying was, is you got to beware of, of poison devotion. Where you come in and you use your tithe as a way of paying penance to God and saying, well, look, I'm, I'm fully devoted. We can live a life that's partially devoted to God. And I commend you. But if you ever want to walk in God's fullness, you've got to get from a place of no devotion and poison devotion to a place of what I call narrow road devotion. There are a lot of people that are going to walk down a road that's very wide that they're going to think that they're devoted. But the Bible says that there is a narrow road kind of devotion. And I want you to hear me. Narrow road doesn't equal narrow-minded. <laughs> Just because I desire to be a narrow road believer doesn't mean that I need to walk in judgment and hypocrisy of the world. You guys ever heard that phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I? Sometimes you need to remember where God found you. Sometimes that revelation scripture that talks about you to destroy the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, you love not your life to the point of death. Some of you guys need to remind yourself of where God found you. The looks that you give to people that you disagree with, the, the, the lack of compassion that you give to the world around you. I want to be a narrow road devoted follower of Jesus. What does narrow road devotion look like? It looks like John 1.17 in action. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you need to add? What do you need to take away to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Most of us have our propensity, don't we? Some of us are really good at truth. We're going to tell people the truth. And then very, the other side of the aisle is like, grace for everybody. Everybody gets grace. We're never going to tell them the truth about their life or their lifestyle. We're just going to, we're going to bland it over. We're going to, like the hole in the carpet, we're just going to put, put other furniture over it. We're just going to ignore it. And the truth is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. To be like Jesus is I have to have one hand in the truth of the gospel and one hand upon his grace. And when I do that, my heart breaks with compassion and burden for people. And I love them so much, I do not hide them from the truth. But I speak the truth to them. We all have a natural bent, don't we? I can remember this pastor's heart walking up to a new family and a new couple that had just come to Jesus. And they were living in a duplex on the wrong side of town. Barely being able to make ends meet. And I went and knocked on their door just to visit him and say hello. And he started talking to me about giving and tithing and what it means to start giving to the church and being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I'm going to be honest, my compassion got in the way in that moment. He said, Pastor, if I give to the church this month, I'm not going to have enough money for rent. And here's what my answer was. you got to put a roof over your head. 
And I remember driving in my truck and pulling away, and the Lord said, you just lied to that man. Because that's not what my word says. My word doesn't say just give when you feel like it or you can. The Bible says to give. It's a a dynamic, and we're going to get to this in the next couple weeks. So if you want to skip that sermon, you're more than welcome to. But we're going to talk about that one too. And I remember going back and knocking on the door and said, I just, I just lied to you. And I got I to gotta ask for forgiveness because the Bible doesn't say sometimes give or when you feel like it give or when you have the money to give. The Bible says you give. And the correct answer is, is you give and my wife and I are going to do what we can to keep you in this house because we're going to learn what it means to walk in fellowship with each other. And that man now is running one of the most successful ministries at our former church. And his... Literally from soup and bread lines to his wife is now a nurse and he's now uh, in the higher ups at the uh, Solano County Prison and they're doing wonderful things and they're impacting the kingdom of God in many ways and now they're learning what it means to be more than a conqueror. But listen to me, my grace could have got them in trouble because it wasn't rooted in truth. And a lot of us do that. A lot of us want to engage the culture that we're called to reach with grace only, but if you only go with grace only, you're not going to save them from their problems. But if you only go with truth only, then you're going to become no greater than the Pharisees of Jesus' time. You're going to have the right answer, but, but you're going to be like a ball and weight around there because there's no grace or love. So John 1.17 is what? Truth and grace. Brooke, if you can come back to the keyboard today. Fully devoted followers of Jesus is what we're after. I asked the Holy Spirit this morning, why the mixture in the church today? What comes first? What came first? The itching ears or the scratching words? What came worse, the chicken or the egg? What came worse, the itching ears or the scratching words? Where did, where did the mixture come from in the church? Did it come as a result of people wanting a watered-down gospel, or did it come because the pastor wanted to water it down to control? Where did it come from? I know, I'm going to give you five things of where I I, I believe from Scripture. If you're not careful, you can walk in a lack of devotion as we close this morning. The first place is, his people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge, Hosea 4.6. So knowledge, or a lack of knowledge, I believe can cause mixture. You know, Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? Not by the opinion of a pastor. Not by the the latest infomercial on Spotify. Not by by a podcast from someone you don't know their lifestyle. You hearing this, Pastor? Be careful that you don't put weights in words of men that you do not know their private lives. Be careful that you don't put weights in women women of God in this culture that, that you do not know how they actually walk. Find those people of character and integrity. Now, can you get things from them? Absolutely. But you better be careful that your hearing comes from the Word of God. Oftentimes, the new American church plays telephone with the Word of God. Instead of going and digging for themselves, they wait for, to see what pastor got from the Holy Spirit. And then they, they take what the Holy Spirit gave pastor and they try to implement their life. Listen to me. It's a dangerous game. Get into the Word of God because Why? The Word of God is powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to bone and marrow. It cuts to intents and thoughts. I don't want to have mixture in my life. And the one way to root out mixture 
is to gain a knowledge of the things of God for myself. You can do it. You can dig into his word. You can have a dynamic prayer life. You can, you can, you can, you can. And for some of you guys, you will. The second area is there's a conforming to the world that brings a mixture. Romans 12 and 2 says what? Don't be conformed. My wife and I, for the first 10 or 11 years of ministry, we would go, as we watch people in the church, we would say, that's weird that they have that kind of stance, even being in the church. And then we would view another situation and we would go, that's peculiar that they would be Christians and they would have that kind of stance. That's weird. And then there came a point in our relationship with the Lord and our maturity that we go, they're not the weird ones, we are. Those that are actually fully devoted followers of Jesus, you're the weird ones. You're peculiar people. Those that are willing to sell all, be all, give all. But if you want all of him, it's going to take all of you. So don't, listen to me, do not practice a Christianity that okays you being conformed to the patterns of this world. I could go deeper and offend a whole bunch of people here, and maybe I will. I'm still deciding right now if I'm supposed to do it or not. You got to be careful. The reason why I, I don't, the reason why I hesitate is because I don't want you guys to misinterpret my love for you with pointing out singular sins and then we go, well, I don't do that, so I better be good and they're, they're probably bad. It's the reason why specific examples of preaching are pretty dangerous. Because if the preacher doesn't talk about yours, you feel like you're okay. No, the Holy Spirit says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't chase it all. Don't, don't. A good rule of thumb is if the world is running to it, you should probably be running from it. You are a fool thinking that you're going to send your kids to a four-year university today when the world is sending all of their young adults to those college campuses and getting the progressive, secular, atheistic ideology in their life. You're a fool if you think your kids aren't going to be put in that whirlwind. So if the world is running to it, maybe God has a different way to raise your kids. Maybe God has a different way to raise your kids. If the world is running to it, it's probably a good idea that you run away from it. Third, what causes a mixture in the church is they're not willing to separate. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, come out from among them and be what? Separate. Fourth is, don't mix your affections. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2, 5 through 7 says. 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love this world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now the world, he's not mentioning like trees or waterfalls. It's the patterns. It's the, it's, the, it's the structure that the world has to offer. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
The desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Listen to me. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Here's a fifth as I close. The first and second greatest commandments are what? To love God and love your neighbor. It takes forgiveness and maturity and long-suffering to not just love God, but also to love your neighbor. We are living in a day where Christians commit relational malpractice daily. Five things that are causing mixture in the church today are lack of knowledge, are conforming to the world, are not willing to be separate, are mixing of affections. And the fact that if we're not careful, we're creating relational malpractice. The Bible gives us answers how to fix all of those, which is what? Lord, don't just have some of me. God, I give you permission to have all of me. Would you stand on your feet this morning as we get ready to close? Brooke, I'm feeling like we're supposed to sing that verse in that song that hit this, this morning. Um, life transformed. It's like a movie. Starts with five words, three words. You know what I'm talking about? No? What's the one we've been singing the whole morning? He's in the room, yeah, but the verse of that song. This is like what we do for dinner every every... Friday night when we want to go out. Every life can be restored when he's in the room. I got it right. Riley, I got it right. She's looking at me like he finally got it, like clicked. And I'm going to be honest, the only reason why it clicked is because it's on the screen right there. <laughs> Man, I want to be around fully devoted followers of Jesus. I don't want to have to send our young people to somewhere else to know what fully devoted followers of Jesus look like. I don't want to have, you hearing me this morning? I want our kids to be raised in an atmosphere where fully devoted followers of Jesus live there. I, I had them in my life. Jerome, Dave Hood, Tommy Worthen, Steve Smotherman, Leland Paris, Dave Baker, Al Moody. Men of God, when they, women of God, when I would walk in the room and, and you could feel. It's like my son said, Dad, when I was praying, I was praying for Bear because he's a real prayer, not you. I'm thankful that my son, I'm thankful that my son has heroes that he can look, look up to in the church to know what fully devoted followers of Jesus look like. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. You ain't perfect. But fully devo devoted followers of Jesus. Hey, listen, here's how it happens. When our eyesight goes from here, Father, would you come and fill the room? Would you fill the room? I want to sing this song one time, and I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over your barbecue ribs today. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over your, your family get-togethers. It's going to be a wonderful prayer. You don't want to miss it. But one more time, can we invite him to come in this room? Come on, come on, Brooke, would you sing it one time?
one more time. Every life can be restored Hallelujah. You fill the room. Fill this room, Lord. We don't just devote something to you, we devote ourselves. Angels are in every Yes. You fill the room. Fill this room. Yes. Yes. I even feel like as we close this service, there's those of you that you've tried it all. You've devoted yourself to many things and it hasn't left you with more peace, but just left less peace. If you want this peace that you feel on the outside to come on the inside, Lord, I devote my life to you. Every part of who I am for every part of who you are. If that's you this morning, would you join all of us as we pray this simple prayer? Would you say, Dear Heavenly Father, I devote everything that I am to have everything that you are. The great exchange, what's in my hand for yours. I thank you for what you did on that cross, the price that you paid the victory in the tomb so that this great exchange can happen. In Jesus' name. Jamie, would you come? I just felt like I was supposed to have you pray over our service, pray over the barbecues, the get-togethers. If you have something, you can say it, but there's no pressure. I just wanted our women's ministry leader to come and close our service today. Yeah. Um, the word I just have for you all this morning is just more life. It's that simple. I'm not going to preach another sermon. We don't need it. We just had a great one, a God-covered one given to us this morning. But I just feel for some of us in this room, we're just thinking, how does that look, Lord? Just how does it look? He's not looking to take away from you. He's not looking to take the fun away. He's looking to give you. He's just looking to give you life. He's looking to give you more. I would say that's all it is, but that makes it sound like little. But that's all it is. That's what he wants to do. He just wants to give you life. Say, would you trust me with that? And you're saying, okay, but how, God, what do I just let that peace of the Lord wash over you this morning? Father, that's what I pray for my church family. That's what I pray for the women in this room. That's what I pray for the men in this room. As they're sitting there, they're trying to work it out before you do, Lord because that's what we do. We have to know the plan. We have to know the steps. We have to know the five doors we're going to walk through before we get to you, and you're just standing there with two doors wide open, saying, I just want to give you more life, because the life this world offers just takes and takes and takes away. And Father, you come to give us life and give it that much more abundantly and that's what you're reminding us of this morning so I pray for my church family I pray for my friends I pray for those I don't even know yet but you do father you knew who was coming this morning there's been so many good words from you this morning Lord I pray that the word that each person in this room needs to remember would just grab hold and take root in their heart that when they leave these doors when they go 
enjoy the barbecues, when they go enjoy their family, when they go enjoy rest, whatever it is, that word would take such root in their heart that it wouldn't just be forgotten as soon as they go on to the next thing. Father, thank you for the life that you wanna give. Thank you for the more that you want to give. Jesus, thank you that when you give that, you've already been preparing the next thing that you wanna give because it never ends with you. There's always something more from you. There's always more life. I thank you that we don't have to figure it out. I thank you that we can go enjoy our barbecues this morning, enjoy our friends and enjoy our friendships and enjoy our families this morning. And all the while, we can walk with the word that you are rooting deep in each one of our hearts this morning. That's what we pray for. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the 4th of July that's coming and what that means and what a beautiful time we had together to honor that this morning. Thank you, God, that you are over our country. Thank you that you are over this community. Thank you that you are over these families. Thank you that you're over each one of us as individuals. Father, bless these people this morning. Bless those online with us this morning. We thank you, Father. In your name we pray. We all said, amen. Oh, when you draw near.